It's Valentine's Day, and it's time to show a little love, as Square Enix did today by showing us the Final Fantasy VII Remake opening movie, coming up on episode 99 of the JRPG Report. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. It's only been a day since our last podcast, but I just, I could not wait and I could not contain my excitement any longer. We have to talk about this opening movie that Square Enix has given us a little Valentine's Day love, but they weren't the only ones, as we also got the third and I'd say final trailer before the Japanese release of Persona 5 Scramble. The Phantom Strikers. So let's just get right into it. And um, again, I'm so happy you guys joined us. And uh, hopefully you don't mind all these episodes, as I think the more the merrier, right? Let's get into it. And what I actually want to do for you guys is we're going to play the video. And I'm not going to do one of these reaction videos. That's not really my kind of thing. But what I want to do is point out some of the little things that I saw when I viewed it for the first time. This will just be the second time uh, viewing it for myself. And I want to get into some of the nuances, some of the things that they are really fleshing out. And, um, well, yeah, so let's just, let's just dive right into it. Um, it's 5 minutes and 22 seconds long. And one of the first... I mean, obvious things that jumps out to me is the area around Midgar. Um, in my mind's eye, my imagination, I don't recall it being to this effect of a wasteland all around Midgar. Um, I remember a, a short distance, obviously, in that overworld map. But then, you know, there's green grass and, and, and Parm is not far away. They really are driving home the idea that um, the Shinra Electric Power Company is draining the planet. Um, the area around is just wasteland desert. I guess we saw a little bit of that with Advent Children with some of the uh, motorcycle fights out there. But it is just taken to a whole new level. And then once you get into Midgar proper, man, it is a fully-fledged uh, super metropolis of a city. Very modern-looking, but at the same time, and I don't know if you guys felt the same way, um, I got the feel of it's of not steampunk, but a natural evolution from from 6 to 7 of... Well, what happened if this technology kept on going? Um, it, it is a fully living, breathing city. We see the everyday people on the streets. Kind of, a, we're seeing the influence of fifteen, I think, again. Um, but this—if you showed this to anybody, they would be like, "Oh, this is just a modern representation of a, you know, a city." And then you get about a minute and a half into it, and there is the. The first patch of of somewhat would call green um, grass. It's obviously brown and and dying. And there's a a wilted flower of some sorts as it starts to paint a bleaker and bleaker picture. 
the further you get into it. Um, you get to see the playground with the kids playing on it. Of course, there's uh, there's some scenes going on there later in the game. And the kid with the Mako eyes. I mean, that's that's just really, really cool. And it, what we're definitely seeing is Square Enix going that two steps beyond the extra mile of this was our vision 20 years ago. And... This is the game that we can create now in this world. And we are going to bring it to life like never before. And in some ways, in ways that games have not been um, presented. You are taking these memories that are very fond for, for many of us. And I'm not even the world's biggest FF7 fan. It's not my top game even in the series. However, it is a great game. There's no denying it. And this is going to be a worthy uh, reimagining of the game. Of course, you get to Aerith and you can... uh, What you saw, what, you know, I guess was... You know, these are things that I guess are in the original game. But due to the graphical limitations of the PlayStation 1, you couldn't even tell what was going on. So where she's kneeling down you know, in that alleyway and there's a pipe that seems to be glowing and there's some energy coming off of it. You just, you wonder what, what's that conversation going on in her head? What's she thinking? And then running out uh, into a, a busy street with her flowers. Game on top. I mean, they even go to the, in the background, there's the, there's people eating in a restaurant. Um, there's no detail too small at least in these cutscenes now, how far this will carry over into the actual game, that remains to be seen. But I, you, you feel like you could just reach out and touch Aerith and she'd be as real as could be. And they have, especially in these cutscenes, they have done an amazing job. Um, we get more into, you know, there's the, the Loveless poster right behind her. It pans back out to the big... Um, opening scene of the game that we all remember, but just your mind cannot, (laughs) cannot handle what's going on at this point. You're like, Oh, these memories, you can see the numbers on the Mako reactors around the city. You can see the plates. Um, you know, what's going to (laughs) happen in the future. And then the train comes. And then of course we have, We've seen this one. This, you know, how long ago was the tech demo that this scene was trying to recreate? And now we are two months away from it being an actual game that we're going to play. That's incredibly exciting. You can even see the deal on the on the train itself. It looks like it's got a little, you know, mini Mako mini reactor I guess for lack of a better word there's some glowing on there that's obviously the energy powering it the uh, soldiers themselves the details allowed in that really really incredible stuff Um, so yeah if you have not seen this you should definitely check it out we even get to see uh, Biggs Wedge and Jesse (laughs) Jesse doing that flying kick that like I said, I'm sure it was in 
the original, but couldn't really tell what was what was going on. Then Barrett saying, "Come on, Merc!" Incredible. So yeah, if you've not seen it, you definitely should check it out. It's not going to ruin anything for you. I've been on the fence on to on which side that I fall in. Do I want to see any more? No, but this is just recreating the opening movie. Like I said, definitely adds a little bit to it, but all good. Kind of like with our things that we talked about yesterday with all the new images. It just adds to it without ruining anything, and that's what I like to see. So what is your reaction <laughs> to the opening movie? Are you excited? Can you? Do you not want to see anything? Do you want to wait? Um, this is certainly nothing new. We are seeing opening movies more and more get released before the game. And I think some of that has to do with when you get a game and you first fire it up, some, I think a lot of people kind of skip that. Um, and maybe the developers feel like if they release it beforehand, there's a better chance of people seeing their hard work. I, I don't know. But that is uh, that's that movie um, is the reason why we're here on a Friday night. But I'm glad that you chose to to spend it either uh with me on saturday or just whenever you get to it so let me know on the facebook page let me know um on twitter or wherever you guys follow me at um what is your opinion of this opening movie and how excited are you so like i said in the opening Final Fantasy VII Remake was not the only game to get some Valentine's Day love as Atlas released the third official trailer for Persona 5 Scramble, The Phantom Strikers. Of course, the game is due out in just uh, six days, actually, in Japan. And this trailer was a little bit different. Um, We've seen them focus in on the different characters, but this one kind of seemed to focus on the enemies a little bit. And the trailer starts off with a monstrous uh, tech-mech-looking Gundam-style thing that uh, really is unleashing some firepower (laughs) on the Phantom Thieves. Uh, I'm not quite sure how else to put it, but it seems like in a lot of the gameplay, you're kind of just wailing away on the enemies. You're going to town um, just by the preview videos. Didn't get the sense that it was very challenging. That boss fight looks extremely challenging. And um can't wait to, to really get into that. It did show uh, some of the special moves from a few of the characters uh, really highlighting. Uh, this one was definitely heavy on the action side of things. Uh, even showing some uh, of uh, Mona attacking with the van. And then there's another boss character... A very grotesque-looking ice type of queen uh, that you're finding a giant head of hers. And then she even eats. Um, it looks like On gets tossed up in the air and then devoured at one point. That was kind of <laughs> kind of crazy looking. Um, there's a new, at least a character that I've not seen before. And it may be, uh, I don't know. I don't want to speculate on who it is or who it who it could be, but... Of course, it's hard to know what's going on in the trailer since it's still in Japanese. Um, one thing it does show that the thieves are looking at a fireworks celebration. So I'm guessing that's the 4th of July or some sort of Independence Day celebration. 
Um, obviously in Japan, they wouldn't have the 4th of July, but there's fireworks going on. And Joker holds up his phone with Sophie on it to look at it. So maybe it's a situation um, like with Teddy in part four where he can't go out in the real world, at least at first. He's just a part of that virtual world. Again, that's just my speculation, but it seems to be odd that she wasn't with them, but could view it uh, through the phone. Um, I don't know. Definitely, Definitely some cool stuff going on. In this game, um, I know I'm very excited for it, and it did make the point at the very end of uh, actually showing some blood. Uh, Joker looks to be bleeding at one point. Um, Sophie looks to be... Uh, I, I think we're going to learn a lot about this character here uh, very soon. Um, yeah, that looks like a Goro. I think that may be... Uh, he may be back in some some capacity. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but they definitely show the P5 and then the 2 comes out then is knocked away by the S for the logo. Um, saying for 2-20-2020 they will return and then it knocks out the will word and just they return. So this is definitely shaping up to be a a, a sequel in every, every sense of the word just Action gameplay instead of turn-based. A very bold move for the franchise. But I think I'm going to dig it. We'll just have to wait and see exactly what comes out. Now let's take just a quick break and thank Anchor for sponsoring us here. And I've got three, no, four more stories for you guys when we come back here on episode 99 of the JRPG Report. Also getting in on the Valentine's Day fun were the girls over at VVV Tunia. Compile Heart launched uh, their first debut trailer and even a behind-the-scenes video um, during its Death in Request 2 launch special program video. So this was kind of thrown in there uh, at the end of that. Um, I've been kind of curious about this game. Um, it's a franchise that I certainly don't mind. It has its place in the JRPG world. It is uh, kind of in a niche all its own. Uh, with this game, though, it is absolutely a spinoff. And they are kind of ditching the turn-based battle system. It looks like to be a straight-up action RPG game, even in some aspects, uh almost pure action in the, in the fact of um, it has shooting elements to it. Uh, you, you can go, I think you control all four characters uh, by switching in between them. Um, definitely showed some shooting elements and then obviously some uh, fighting as well. looks like an interesting title. I'm not as um, enthusiastic about it as I was before knowing that it made the transition into more of an action RPG because I did kind of like their turn-based aspects. I know I just was talking about how I liked Scramble's action <laughs> um, change, but with this one, I don't necessarily think it's a great thing. What is great is Compile Heart has finally made it to 2020 and made a game with at least uh, comparable graphics. Uh, <laughs> they've always been a kind of a step behind in that department 
and but this looks very like much like an anime come to life it's uh, they did a good job on the character models for it but if you want to check that out like with all these you can head over to the facebook page or twitter at jrpg report and um, you can see everything that i'm talking about here tonight as well as anything uh, that has happened uh, previously there will be a demo released for Langrisser 1 and 2 NIS America has announced. Uh, this will come out on PS4 via the PlayStation Store or, of course, on the eShop for your Switch. The demo will come out on February 20th. And uh, in Langrisser 1, it will feature chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now for Langrisser 2, it'll be chapters 4, 5, and six. This will have the ability to switch between the classic and remastered art styles. Users with demo save data will receive an extra 5,000 gold and two CP when playing the full release. Langrisser 1 and 2 is due out for PC via Steam, PlayStation 4, and Switch on March 10th in North America, a few days later on March 13th in Europe. So again, if you want to check out that demo, you can starting on February the 20th. Final Fantasy 14 will also release, uh, not, I was going to say also on the 20th. It actually is going to be on February 18th. Patch 5.2 will come out for it. Uh, this patch is entitled Echoes of a Fallen Star. There is a new trailer uh, accompanying this as well. Echoes of the Falling Star will continue the story threads left over from Shadowbringers and the vows of virtue, virtue, virtue deeds of cruelty 5.1 patch. The new main scenario content will include new dungeon of Emanesis Arder. I am Ron Burgundy. Uh, which will be available to run under the trust system that was introduced in Shadowbringers, where players can enter on their own with NPC party members instead of other players. The 5.2 patch will include the second part of the Eden Raid series, which includes the introduction of the uh, of Setsuya Norma's design character Gaia. In the first part, the raids will come in normal and savage versions and feature battle against new versions of familiar enemies. It will also include the start of a new the Sorrow of Werlit, W-E-R-L-Y-T, questline, which will include a new trial called the Cinder Drift, where players will fight against Ruby Weapon. That's awesome. So, kind of already got that FF7 feel to it with the old Ruby Weapon coming out. I can, Could you guys ever... Uh, I, I couldn't do any of the rubies or omega. I I just wasn't that kind of player back then. I don't know if I will be uh, this time around either. I tried. I, I certainly tried, and it just didn't wasn't happening for me. <laughs> uh, Five point two patch will continue the promise changes to the crafter and gatherer jobs, and will introduce ocean fishing for the fisher gathering job. Players will be able to board a ship at specified times and earn experience points or scripts based on what they catch during the expedition. Following uh, patch 5.21, 
Uh, we'll introduce a new update for the Ashgardian uh, restoration content. And finally, the planned 5.25 patch will introduce new resistance weapon quest series where players will be able to earn more powerful equipment and learn about their homeland of the Hrothgar race, uh, the Boja Citadel. Uh, more details about both badges will be found on the website here later. So, if you are a FF14 player, there you go. I butchered all those names. You're welcome. <laughs> One final story to pass along to you guys is um, Atelier Raza um, has now surpassed 750,000 units sold worldwide. Publisher Koi Tecmo and developer Gust announced. Um, here was the tweet. And uh, this has been translated by Google. Thank you. And it says 350,000 units reached, exclamation points. Um, they say uh, Rises Atelier tops the units worldwide. I'm really happy that many people enjoyed it. Your comments and support are always encouraged. Please keep an eye on the risers. And it had a cool little image um, along with it. I'm assuming that's what that uh, what that said. And I am also very happy that this title is seeing the success that it has. Um, it's a great game, guys. I, I know I've said this a little bit on the social channels. Um, just, I'm having a blast playing this game. And I'm, I really thought that I would... And you know how you play sometimes and you're just like, you're kind of surprised with how much you enjoy it. That's exactly the way I am now. And part of that is how much I loved Cold Steel 3. And this is the next game that I'm playing. It's totally different, but in all um, the best ways different. I think just the lightheartedness of it. And not that there's not, you know a threat going on that that's definitely something that has to be dealt with, but just on kind of a moment by moment basis, it doesn't take itself quite so seriously. And let me just say the battle system that they have made for this game is phenomenal. Um, in terms of what a turn-based battle system can do, it's so fast. You you're only controlling one character at a time, but the ability to switch between them at all times really um, just really ratchets things up quite a bit. Um, they're auto attacking when you're not, but you're still always inputting uh, things. You just you guys really should owe it to yourself to check it out. I know some of you have probably played some of them in the past and weren't real impressed, and I get that. As somebody who's played, I don't know, like six of them, something like that. I played a lot of these Atelier games and they weren't that great. They were good, but this one has made the leap into so far, at least the great category. It's not perfect, but very few games are. So kudos to them. And I'm sure they're already uh, thinking about what to do next in, uh, in this series. 
that's all the JRPG news um, that I have for you guys. I was going to talk about Rain Factory 4, um, but it's not really a JRPG. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to get into that. Like my wife loves those games and that series, and she's really looking forward to it if she can get the Switch away um, from my daughter in Minecraft long enough to play it. I'm sure <laughs> she will enjoy it as well. But some um, interesting PlayStation Five news has come out, and this is uh, according to a Bloomberg report that's come out, uh, citing quote people with knowledge of the matter. And I'm not surprised about this at all. Some of the uh, some of the components that are going to go into this system are going to be costly, and I kind of expected that. So what they are speculating in this is that just uh, on the cost alone to Sony, it's going to cost them about $450 to produce one PlayStation 5. Now, if that's the case, and if that holds up, of course, there are already beginnings of production now for a holiday uh, release. That would tend to think that they would have to sell it at, you know, $4.99 to make a profit. Now, Sony has sold systems at a loss before with the belief that they would make up that money uh, via software. I don't know if that would necessarily be the case because also in this same article, um, they said, oh, where is the exact quote? Uh, outside of that, um, oh, I've lost it. Basically, it just said that, okay, the outlet also reports that many of the games launched for PS5 will also be available uh, to play on PS4. So it doesn't sound like there's a ton of new games that are going to be developed for it so from a software standpoint you're not it doesn't sound like there's going to be a lot of enticement in order to go out there and pick up this new system if there's not that brand new must-have game to go and do that um you know we're going to have the playstation 5 version of madden on call of duty you know those come out uh, by that point you know nba 2k whatever yeah, you're going to have those, but in terms of that must-have IP, we've not heard that one yet. And if it comes out at 500 bucks, that's certainly not going to help sales any. It's just kind of a, uh, it's kind of an interesting story, and we'll have to keep an eye on that. I am certainly excited about PlayStation Five, um, but I'm not getting it when it comes out. Uh, that's just not going to happen. Anyway, that's all I've got for this episode. I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed this kind of bonus content. Don't forget, we still have a Sunday special coming out. Um, it is going to be the soundtrack to Trails of Cold Steel 3. Kind of something different. I think it clocked in at about an hour. So just something to kick back and relax and uh, check out and enjoy. We'll be back next week. Um, I may try to do shorter, more often podcasts. Let me know if this is something you guys are interested in, or should I just keep it at once a week? Um, I kind of feel like uh, I could go either way on it. If there's breaking news that demands a podcast, I don't, I don't see why I shouldn't get out there and record one for you guys. I think that could be a positive thing for sure. But get on the Facebook page, 
Let me know what you're thinking. Go check out the website, jrpgreport.com. We're on YouTube, of course, and Twitter. Uh, I even post some things on Instagram every once in a while. It's kind of a it's a difficult format for me to kind of figure out how this works for uh, for podcasts, but we're getting there. But thank you guys so much for tuning in this week and every week. Um, we'll be back checking us out on Sunday. I think I've got it set to go off around noon, so check your phones and subscribe so you can get that automatically. This has been James Fisher for the JRPG Report, Episode 99. Till next time, guys, get back out there and level up.